We're in Colossians chapter 1 again today. Colossians chapter 1. And last week we got started here in Philipp- or Philippians. Colossians 1 verses 15 through 19. And we just got halfway through. And uh, so we're going to finish that up this morning, Lord willing. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19. Colossians 1 15 through 19. As we continue on here in this uh, excellent passage, they're all excellent obviously, but this one has that added emphasis that we sometimes take with some passages, like I mentioned last week, like John 3 uh, with uh, the new birth, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 with the resurrection chapter, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 with creation. And, and this is one of those passages here, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, that uh, just focus us at, on the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that He is to be first place in our life. So let's just stand, if you would, and follow along as I read these verses from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Colossians 1, 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? Verse 16. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We do thank You for uh, this opportunity that we have to continue looking at these verses here in, in Colossians chapter 1. We pray that as we look at these things that we might be uh, renewed and and refreshed and that we might uh, remember our Savior the way He is to be remembered in a very special way because of who He is. And we thank You for all that He has done for us. We thank You that He died on the cross for our sin and that He shed His blood to pay for the uh, the sin that we have committed, and whether past, present, or future, and we're so grateful for that. And because we know Your Word makes it very clear, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we we pray that as we look in, into these uh, passage, these verses here this morning in this passage, that we might. Uh, Uh, see our Savior in all of His glory, and that we might be able to worship Him this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just to remind us where we were last week and kind of get us started this week, uh, we looked last week in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then at the end of verse 15, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now again, that does not mean that He was a created being, because as we continue on, it makes it very clear here in verse 16 that Jesus is the Creator. If Jesus created all things, as it says there in verse 16, then He could not have created Himself. Uh, that That just doesn't make sense. And so we see from verse 16, as Jesus is the Creator, all things were created in Him, all things were created by Him, and all things were created for Him. The songwriter John Newton, he was a rough, dirty sailor with a foul mouth and an appetite for rotten living. He hated life, and life hated him. He was captain of a slave ship. Then someone placed in his hands a copy of Thomas Akempis' book, The Imitation of Christ. He also had the gift of, of a good mother who told him about the Savior when he was, when he was young. And then he was miraculously saved. 
He went all over England sharing his faith. Well past his what we would call retirement age, he had to have an assistant stand in the pulpit with him on Sundays. He was nearly blind and spoke in whispers, but nothing nothing could keep him from preaching while he still had breath. One Sunday, while delivering his message, he repeated the sentence, Jesus Christ is precious. His helper whispered to him, but you have already said that twice. Newton, Newton, excuse me, Newton turned to his helper and, and loudly said, Yes, I've said it twice, and I'm going to say it again. The stones in the ancient sanctuary fairly shook as the grand old preacher said again, Jesus Christ is precious. Now, if you don't know who John Newton is, we might sing Amazing Grace here at the end of the, the service like we sometimes do. He's the writer of Amazing Grace. That's his testimony. A terrible old sailor, uh, just, just as this little story tells, rotten to the core. God miraculously saved him by God's amazing grace. And then he was able to write that song. And I've heard somebody say, and it was a black man that, that was giving the testimony, that the, the tune, uh, I've got amazing grace here. Let me see if it says that here in our hymnal, because I don't remember. No, here it says uh, the, the tune is by William Walker. But in some hymnals it says music by unknown uh, and because there was some question as to the origin of the tune. And what uh, one man said, gave testimony to the fact was, that was the tune that some of the Negroes sang and hummed as they were in the slave ships that John Newton sailored and captained. And so that's where he got that tune. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it sure makes a good story, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, but that's John Newton. And the thing is, he came to realize that Jesus Christ is precious. And folks, that's a great word, precious. Jesus Christ is precious. And as we study the Scriptures, as we look at the... We, we studied the Gospel of John and it gave just a tremendous testimony of who Jesus Christ is. And what the Apostle Paul is doing here is kind of telling us a little bit more just of who Jesus Christ is, giving us a picture. Jesus Christ is the Creator of all things. And as, as we've already looked last week, again... Uh, all things were created in Him. All things were created by Him. All things were created for Him. And here, as we continue on in verse 17, we'll, we'll look at verse 17, 18, and 19 this morning. Uh, here in, in verse 17, Jesus existed before all things were created. It says here in verse, verse 17, And He is before all things. He is before all things. Jesus existed before John the Baptist. And of course we find that back in, back in the Gospels. He existed before Abraham. Remember in John chapter 8 when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. He existed before Adam and Eve because he created all things. He existed before all things. He created before the angels were created. He was, excuse me, He was not created. He existed before the angels were created. He existed before the heavens and the earth were created. He existed before any created thing ever existed. Jesus must therefore be God. He is the eternal one. Remember, when we... 
uh, have Christmas time, we look at some amazing Old Testament prophecies. And I'm going to look at a couple here this morning. And it's not Christmas in August, but sometimes it seems like it is. Uh, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. A verse that is sometimes used at Christmas time. Uh, Micah 5 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This is the verse that the, that the uh, scribes referenced. when. Remember when the wise men came and said, where is he who is to be born in Bethlehem? Or who is to be born king of the Jews? And, and Herod said to, his, to, his, uh, to the scribes and Pharisees, he said, well, what does the Scripture say? They went to Micah 5.2 and said, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But we don't look at the rest of this verse sometime. It says, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, meaning eternity. Jesus Christ his goings forth have been from eternity, everlasting. And then also in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Again, another passage that we usually think of at Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, we, we, those other ones make all kinds of sense to us. Uh, wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace. But we come to that phrase, the Everlasting Father... Everlasting Father. Well, He's just a baby born. How can He be everlasting if He's just been born? It's because Jesus Christ existed before He was ever born. He's the Eternal One. In fact, Everlasting Father, some of the newer translations might translate it Father of Eternity. Father of Eternity. If you're the father of something, that means that's where that thing has come from. If I'm the father of electricity or the father of our country, uh, we, we understand what those words mean. And so the father of eternity means eternity came from Him. He is the origin of eternity. So He's greater than eternity. And so that is who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, He is that One who is from everlasting. He existed before all created things. Paul, what Paul is saying here is, is basically the equivalent to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what John is, excuse me, what Paul is saying here in Colossians chapter 1. Before, before there was anything, God created it. God existed before anything, and God created everything. And that's what Paul is saying here in Colossians 1 that Jesus Christ existed before anything, and that he created everything. That's who the Apostle Paul is saying Jesus is. And we need to remember that. So as we would go back to Genesis 1.1, we can say the same thing about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we would go back to Genesis 1.1, God is the one who brought time, space, and matter into being. That's what happened in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens, space, 
and the earth, matter. God is before time, space, and matter. You know, it's, there are scientists today, and I'm not a scientist, I admit that, but there are scientists today, and the theory of evolution kind of goes along with it, that Mother Earth, we've just had Earth Day here, sometime here, I saw something on the news about it, Earth Day, and they were talking about how Mother Earth and all this, I'm thinking, Mother Earth, there's no Mother Earth, I'm sorry, there's Father, our Heavenly Father, there is no Mother Earth, Earth did not bring us forth, God brought us forth. But as they go back, they, they don't want to have God as the beginning. And so what do they have? They have matter as the beginning. It's, everything has to go back to something. And they know it's got to go back to something. And so it can't be God because scientists doesn't believe in God. They have to go back to matter. But the problem is, with all of the uh, things that Science has discovered, and again, I don't have time to explain it all this morning, but, uh, but I've got a book that explained it to me. It's, uh, it's a book that's called, I Don't Have a, Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And what that book explains is that all of these great scientists have discovered some wonderful things and one of the things is that the earth, excuse me, not the earth, the universe is still expanding. They have been able to prove that. that with the Hubble telescope, Hubble and so forth, and he's one of the scientists. And what he says what that has proven to the scientists is, is if you would take, like we, we used to have a movie uh, film and put it on reel to reel, and, and we can all we're all old enough to remember that. Uh, and and if you would go to the end and put it all and make it go backwards, and what that does is, if the universe is expanding, that means as you go back to the beginning and go back to the beginning of that film, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller until there's nothing. And so the scientists are trying to figure out, well, how can matter be eternal if everything that we know of in the universe went down to nothing? Because that's what that scientific fact has revealed. That everything goes back to zero. What does that tell us? God... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Jesus Christ, He is before all things. And so, whereas there must be something greater than time, His name is God. There's something greater than space, His name is God. There's something greater than matter, his name is God. And He has shown Himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying this 2,000 years ago, before any of these scientists ever figured out these things, which they just figured out in the last 100 years. They've figured these things out, and so they know that there's something bigger than the universe. Because the universe had a beginning. Where did it come from before there was anything? Paul tells us it is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. He is before all things. He existed before all things. And here in verse 17, Jesus holds all created things together. He holds everything together. That's what verse 17, that's the King James, it says, And by Him all things consist. Consist means to place together and to hold together. That's what the King James word consist means. Today, we use all kinds of things to hold things together. 
We have glue. We have nails. We have screws. We have cement. We have threads. We, we, thread. We have all these kind of things. But Jesus doesn't use any of these kinds of things to hold the universe together. But the question is, well, then what does He use? What does Jesus use to hold all things together? Well, it's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and listen to this, and upholding, it's the same thing, same idea, and upholding all things by the word of His power. By the word of His power. Remember, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, the word of His power. He spoke the word, and it happened. He still is speaking the word, and He's holding everything together. And let me tell you, folks, that's an amazing thing. Listen to this. As we would think about it, many years ago, scientists learned how to split the atom. Many of you were alive when that kind of thing happened. If one atom is split, it releases so much power that we can hardly believe it. And if you stop and think, if there's so much power in one atom, why don't they just all blow up and destroy all of creation and all of us? It's because there's one who has more power than all the atoms put together. His infinite power is holding them all together. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We might think, well, why is the Holy Spirit spending this time in Scripture on creation and the Creator? Remember, we've been talking about this group that had come to Colossae, the Gnostics. Remember, that's a play on words because of their knowledge. They had special knowledge. And that word Gnostics comes from the Greek word for knowledge. Their special knowledge made them better than anyone else. Their special knowledge made them more spiritual than anyone else. Those Gnostics believed, and there are still some that believe this today, that matter was evil. Matter was evil. But if you remember in Genesis 1.31, after God has created everything, and it says that God looked on everything and behold, it was very good. You see, God created everything and it was very good. And the Gnostics came along and said, matter is evil. Is evil. Now we know that yes, that sin came into the world and everything is tainted by sin, but God's creation can still be used for good and used to glorify Him. There's a man named Abraham Kuyper. And this is told by uh, Richard Mao in, in the book Uncommon Decency. And I want to make sure I give uh, uh, due diligence to who, who this comes from because uh, I don't want to be uh, accused of plagiarism like uh, maybe others might be in, in this day and age that we live. But uh, Abraham Kuyper was given, giving a speech before a university audience in Amsterdam. He was arguing that scholarship is an, is an important form of Christian discipleship. Since scholarship deals with God's world, it has to be done in such a way that it honors Christ. 
Kuiper concluded with this ringing proclamation, quote, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. It's the truth. Everything that we see belongs to Jesus Christ. It is all His. He's the Creator of all. He is the owner of, yes, the United States of America. He is the owner because He's the Creator. He has the rights to this nation. And this nation is to be used for His glory as well. So Jesus Christ is the Creator. We go on to verse 18. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the Creator. He is the head of the church here in verse 18. It says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So, some, some would question, well, Jesus is the head of which church? We have so many different kinds of churches. You see, it's not, not talking about a denomination. It's not talking about a local assembly. He's talking about the universal church here. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. The church that is talking about here, the universal church, is made up of all believers who have ever trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. We all belong to the what we would call the universal church. And though all believers belong to this universal church, we have a responsibility to our local church. None of us can minister to the whole universal church, but I can strengthen the local body here, which is part of the universal church. The word head here has the idea of source, origin, leader, ruler. And of course, we see all of these in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to note the contrast and comparison here that is made as well. Jesus is supreme over creation over the natural creation and he's also supreme over the new spiritual creation the church that's what it's been talking about jesus is the creator so he's supreme over all of all of nature and he is supreme over all of the spiritual world as well the church here and it says that jesus is the beginning here in verse 18 as well. So he's the in, the beginning. It's pointing to the source, the origin. The, the church's source of life is Jesus Christ Himself. And it says Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn can mean, uh, can mean first, obviously. The first to rise from the dead. It can mean that. But as we go back into the Old Testament, we find other people who rose from the dead. We can find people that Jesus raised from the dead in His own ministry. And so it obviously doesn't mean the very first to rise from the dead. But what we believe it does mean is that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead with that glorified, resurrected body to never die again. And then in verse 18, Jesus is to have the preeminence. And of course, Paul is summing it all up here. And this is not just the theme of this section. This is the theme of the whole uh, book, letter that he's writing, that Jesus is to have the preeminence. He's to have the preeminence. This word translated preeminence is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's been reserved for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
A.T. Robertson, a uh, great uh, biblical uh, scholar, he said that in him all things may come to hold the first place. That's what that's the way he would translate this. That he himself in all things may come to hold first place. You see, Jesus is not only supposed to hold first place in the natural created world, Jesus Christ is to hold first place in the spiritual world as well. And so we come to the question, well, who or what holds first place in my life? Who or what holds first place in my life and in your life? Those false teachers, those Gnostics in Colossae, they would never give Jesus Christ first place. You see, Jesus Christ to them was just a rung on a ladder between earth and heaven. And so He was just one of the rungs on the ladder to get them to heaven. He was not the goal. He was just a rung on a ladder. And so Paul, though, doesn't stop there. He's going to give us some more information just to make sure that we understand who Jesus Christ is. In verse 19. And in verse 19, Jesus, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of deity. This verse, verse 19, it's a difficult verse to translate. If you notice in the King James, it says here, for it pleased the Father. The words the Father in the King James are italicized. And in the King James, that means that those words are not in the original Greek text, that they were added by the translators to help us understand what this verse is trying to say. And so there are going to be other uh, literal translations that say that do it the same way. And it's like uh, the King James, the New King James, uh, the New American Standard, and I think it's the English Standard Version are the literal translations. They've taken the Greek word and tried to take it as literally as they could and go word for word translating a Greek word and an English word. A Greek word and an English word. That's, that's what we call a literal translation. Then there's other kinds of translations where they try to translate the thought or the idea. And so it's not a literal. And so they take a, like a phrase or a sentence and try to translate the thought. They try to translate the idea that that sentence is trying to get across. Now, I grew up with the King James. I like the King James and uh, don't have a problem with the King James. There are other people who don't like the King James. They like newer translations, and that's fine. You, you go with what, you, what you, you like, with what is comfortable to you. But I like a word-for-word, literal translation because I want to know what the Word says. I don't want to come across someone's idea of what the word or sentence means. I want the actual words because I, I am a literalist and I believe that uh, uh, inspiration goes back to the very words that God used, that the Holy Spirit used in having these men write these scriptures for us. And so if if the Holy Spirit tells Paul not to put in the Father, if that's the way He inspired the Apostle Paul to write, don't write that. I want to know. That's not there. I want to know that. And the newer, some of the newer translations, they don't do that. And so I want to know that the Father's not there, but that the translators put it in there to help us understand. They think it should go there. And as you read that, it makes sense. And I think it makes sense for it to be there. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. That's what it's saying there. 
that in Jesus should all fullness dwell. We have this verse, and then over in chapter 2, in verse 9, we have a very similar verse. Look at that verse. It says, For in Him, it's talking about Jesus again, for in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness, there's that same word, fullness, and verse 19 in chapter 1, fullness, for in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so we have these words that are similar in our English, and they're also the same words in the Greek. And so the word fullness in chapter 1, verse 19, is the same word for fullness in chapter 2, verse 9. The word for dwell in verse 19 is the same word for dwell or dwelleth in chapter 2, verse 9. And so we have the same words, and so it's the same ideas. In, in these two verses. The word fullness, it, it was a Greek word that was used in Gnostic writings. It meant the totality of the divine attributes. The Gnostics believed that the divine attribute, excuse me, divine attributes were split between many different godlike beings. But what Paul is doing here is making sure that the Colossians knew and makes it very clear that all of the divine attributes are found in Jesus Christ. Now an attribute, what's an attribute? An attribute is similar to a characteristic. We say Suzanne is characteristically a happy person. She's characteristically a, a fun person to be around. Okay, and those are both true, just so you know. If you didn't know that, uh, some of you probably do. But just so you know, characteristic means that's the way that they usually are. Sometimes Suzanne is not a happy person. Sometimes Suzanne is not very nice to be around. But that's out of the ordinary because characteristically, she's a nice person and she's fun to be around. And we all understand that characteristics are the way that we usually are, and sometimes we we are not quite the same. An attribute, when we talk about attributes, attributes are the way God is all of the time. When it, the Bible says God is whatever, that's the way God is all the time. And so God is love. God is love all of the time. Not just the way He is normally, and then sometimes He's not so loving. God is love all the time. God is merciful all the time. God is just all the time. God is holy. Remember the angels? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. God is holy all the time. Not just He's holy most of the time, and then He's not some of the time. And see, that's what this is talking about, this word that in Him should all fullness, all the attributes of God, all those things that makes God God, are found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is holy all the time. Jesus is merciful all the time. Jesus is just all the time. Jesus is love all the time. All those things that we would say God is such and such, we could say Jesus is because those are the attributes of God. And so all the fullness of all the attributes are found in Jesus Christ. John used this same word in John 1.16. I'm going to turn back to John chapter 1. Now we know in the, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and of His fullness have all we received in grace for grace. 
There's that same word for fullness. All that makes Jesus God, all those attributes are found in Jesus. And it says here in John 1.16, all of His fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have received. When we come to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, all of Jesus, all His fullness, comes to live inside of us. We receive that. That's a wonder. Not that we become Jesus or that we become God, but Jesus comes to live inside of us. That's a wonderful thought. All that fullness of Jesus, all that makes Jesus God, is inside of us. It's inside of us. He is inside of us. And then we have the other word, that dwelling. All the divine attributes are at home in Jesus Christ. You see, there's two words that are usually used in the New Testament for dwell. One is found here in Colossians. The other is found in John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There's that word dwell. And this is the other Greek word that is used. The Greek word in John 1.14 means that he tented, he tabernacled. It's the idea of a temporary dwelling. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, he knew he was only going to be here temporarily. He was only going to be here temporarily. He wasn't coming to be here permanently. The word in Colossians chapters 1 and 2, the word for dwell, is the word that means a permanent dwelling. And so you notice here in Colossians 1.19 and 2.9, that word dwell, that it talks about the fullness of the Godhead is dwelling permanently in Jesus. Dwelling permanently in Jesus. You see, the Gnostics and uh, some cults today, they believe that the divine attributes and the powers were only temporarily in Jesus. Paul makes it very clear that those teachings are false. All the power and divine attributes are in Jesus Christ Permanently, 100% permanent. Peter T. Forsyth, he said, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Who is our master? Jesus Christ. He is our Master. He is the one that we are to find and to let ourselves become absorbed in Him. Jesus Christ is preeminent and is to be preeminent in our lives. Someday, He will be preeminent in everyone's life, whether it's on this earth or in the life to come. Remember when it says there in Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and given him, excuse me, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, someday everyone will realize this. But for some, it will be too late. It will be too late. That thought, that that preeminence needs to, to come into our life today while we are still alive on this earth. We need to realize that Jesus Christ is preeminent and we need to make Him preeminent in our life. In 1991, that's been a long time ago, 
1991, a Gallup poll showed that 78% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. 78% back in 1991. However, many of them hardly ever pray, read their Bible, or attend church. They admit that they live to please themselves instead of God. Folks, why would these people want to go to heaven when they're going to spend their eternity to, to spend eternity with God who they never read about, who they never pray to, who they do not want in their lives down here? Why would they want to spend eternity with Him? They don't. They think they're going to heaven just because it's a nice thing or because they think everyone goes to heaven. Why would we want to be with the One in eternity that we wanted nothing to do with down here on this earth? It just isn't going to happen. You see, we need to make sure that while we're here on this earth, that we have made Jesus Christ first in our life. And the way that that starts is by trusting Him as our Savior. By coming to Him falling at His feet and saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve heaven. But thank You for dying on the cross for me. Thank You for shedding Your blood for me. And I want You to be my Savior. I trust You as my Savior. You see, what we do here on this earth where we go, what we think about, what we talk about. All these things really tell what is or who is preeminent in our life. Who holds first place in our life. I don't know who said it, but it's true. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then He is not Lord at all. It's the truth. Jesus Christ is to be preeminent. First place. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for our Savior. He is preeminent. Lord, help us to make sure that He is preeminent in our life. In our personal life. And Lord, I pray that we're not here just because of a religion but we are here because we want a relationship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for who He is, for what He's done. And Lord, we pray that again, if there's any that has never trusted Christ, that they would come to know Him today. That they might turn away from their sin, turn away from the way in which they're going, and turn to Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Heavenly Father, once again, Lord, we come to you with a thankful heart, Lord. Lord, we are thankful for uh, one time, not till too awful long ago, that we believed. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to be with each one of us as we go our separate ways. Lord, uh, we thank you for our church. We thank you for the word that's been preached. Lord, uh, Lord, when we preach from the Bible and we hear the word, we know it's the truth. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that each one of us, Lord, might serve you in a mighty way. We thank you, Lord, now, and be with us as we go our separate ways. Keep us from all harm and danger. Bring us back next weekend, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.